There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, January 25th, 2024, the 1,100th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, before we get into it, we might as well just take recognition of this being the 1100th full day since the fake inauguration on January 20th, 2021. And we don't need to spend much time on it, but just think about those days where you said the country just cannot take any more. 
everything's falling apart. We are never going to make it through this fake president's term. And here we are 1100 days later. And yeah, things ain't great. I get it. But you're surviving and the country is on the path to awakening. The people are on the path to taking back the power from this global regime that has dominated our world for centuries, if not millennia. So congratulations, you've made it this far. And now I guess we just have to keep on going. And yes, even if we win a rigged election, we're going to have to keep on going. In fact, even if the American Renaissance is in full bloom two short years from now, we still just have to keep on going. So yesterday we spent some time on the audio that has just been released of a conversation between Kerry Lake in early 2023 and the newly elected GOP chair from Arizona, Jeff DeWitt. Jeff DeWitt was bringing an offer to Kerry Lake from people back east. And he basically had free reign to offer Kerry Lake whatever she could possibly want in order to forego her run for Arizona's Senate seat this fall. If she wanted money, she could have money. If she wanted some job, some appointment with a great title and a great salary where she had to do no work, well, that could be hers too. If she wanted to be the next Megyn Kelly or be a panelist on CNN or Fox or have her own Daily Wire style podcast where she could make a million dollars a week for producing round the clock trans content like they do, she could totally have that. But she said no. She said she could not be bought. She asked where the offer was coming from. DeWitt said it's better that he not say. And it would be best if Carrie Lake would never speak of that conversation ever again. Was there an implicit threat in all this? No, says Jeff DeWitt. But also, hey, I don't want to talk too much about this in the odd chance that I might turn the key in my ignition and my car explodes. They discussed whether or not there was cartel influence. They discussed why these people back east really wanted to support Ron DeSantis and really wanted to get rid of Donald Trump. And of course, all of this was in the weeks following claims in an Arizona legislature hearing about cartel activity and their influence in corrupting Arizona political officials. So this story was sounding the alarm on many levels. It brought the whole behind-the-scenes sausage-making process out into the light so everyone can see this is how things are really done. Big money and big power back in Washington apply whatever influence and leverage they need to apply to make sure that certain disruptive people will not run for political office. This is how people who pay attention assume things work. In fact, this is how people who don't even pay that much attention assume things work. But they always assume it's only the other side doing it. It's not their people, the people they support, who would do this stuff. But besides those people, everyone else in politics is corrupt. And if we all assume that everybody does this and that our side is still better than the other side, even though both sides are doing this, well, then there's no basis for even getting upset about this. We just hope that our criminals, our corrupt politicians, our liars, our frauds, our owned and influenced 
representatives will at least help us more than theirs will. But that initial audio left a lot of questions still to be answered. We didn't know who was making the offer. A lot of people were directing their anger at Jeff DeWitt, and maybe Jeff DeWitt is thoroughly corrupt. I don't know Jeff DeWitt. People I know who know Jeff DeWitt say that he's just kind of a normal political actor and a decent guy. I'm certainly not defending him. I don't know the man at all. But regardless of his role, he is a low-level concern. He is a messenger. He is bringing this offer. Jeff DeWitt may be a bad guy in the story, but he's not the bad guy in the story. And if we can't identify the bad guy, then we really don't have a story. All we have is audio corroborating and supporting an idea that we already assume to be true about how politics operates. I mentioned that we didn't know where the recording came from. I mentioned that the recording was made almost a year ago now. And in the last 24 hours, everything I've heard supports that. Steve Bannon implied on War Room that the recording was even more than a year old, but I think it's somewhere around a year old. It was after she had stopped running for governor, after that race was stolen, and Katie Hobbs was put into the role of fake governor in Arizona. So that means that it was post-2022 midterms, and it was pretty clearly in that period where she was considering whether or not she would run for Arizona's Senate seat in 2024. We don't know who was responsible for the recording or what method of recording was used. We don't know whether neither Lake nor DeWitt knew it was being recorded. We don't know whether one of them and not the other knew it was being recorded. And it's, of course, possible that both of them knew it was being recorded. Again, DeWitt seems to be out there as a free man. Kerry Lake pressured him to resign from his position as Arizona GOP chair. He did that yesterday in the afternoon. And then Kerry Lake announced that she would be going live on Rumble in the evening to answer some more questions about this newly released audio of the conversation between her and Jeff DeWitt. And so I tuned in and watched her live on Rumble. One of her aides was fielding questions, and she was answering those questions on the feed. And she seemed to imply a couple of times that that audio was actually from a video. She said a few times that she had gone back and watched it. And there are various points in interviews over the last couple of days where she has said it's video rather than audio. Now, that is a very small detail, but if this exchange was recorded on video, we're talking about an entirely different circumstance than the one I think most people are imagining with this exchange. So some of those key questions are still unanswered. But before Carrie Lake went live in the evening, Michael Patrick Leahy appeared on War Room in the afternoon. Now, if you're not familiar with Michael Patrick Leahy, he is the CEO and editor-in-chief of Star News Digital Media. And so they have a bunch of regional news outlets, new websites popping up over the last few years featuring more traditional-style reporting, but existing outside of that corporate propaganda media influence. They have like the Tennessee Star, the Arizona Sun-Times, Georgia Star News. And they have outlets now in about 15 states. You would have to assume they're probably going to get to all 50 at some point. 
But Leahy seems to be building out a pretty substantial reporting network. So he went on War Room in the afternoon yesterday and told Steve Bannon this. Jeff DeWitt has resigned. And I think Kerry Lake is going to have 8 p.m. Eastern, a rumble press conference uh, to talk about the latest developments. But sources have told us that the message came from the National Republican uh, Senatorial Committee, which is, uh, as you know, controlled by uh, Mitch McConnell and Senator Steve Daines of Montana uh, is the senator in charge of that. We yesterday, when we got this information, which we believe to be credible from a credible source, but we, you know, we sent uh, requests. Our great reporter in Arizona, the Arizona Sun Times, Rachel Alexander, sent a request to both Steve Daines and the political director at the NRSC to, if they would confirm or de- deny that the message originated from them in March of of 2023. In other words, hey, Kerry, don't run for the Senate. We'll we'll give you some money or a big job. Neither of those people responded to us. But uh, Danes, just a couple hours ago, talked to an NBC reporter and issued, it's right at uh, ArizonaSuntimes.com, and issued uh, a basically what you would call a non-denial denial. He didn't address the issue of whether they originated the message. What he said was, I just heard that report, and uh, gee, I didn't know anything about that report. We were talking about the report of the, of the leaked audio in which the message was delivered. Um, so we're going, and he's not responded to us. Steve, you and I have been doing this long enough to know that if there's a major figure that you ask a question and they don't respond to you in 24 hours, there's a reason. And my suspicion is okay. that our source is probably correct. <laughs> Hang on for one second. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, Michael Patrick Leahy just dropped a bomb, okay, because he said, hey, uh, reliable sources are telling us it came from the NRSC, which would make perfect sense if you listen to DeWitt. They're trying to get her out out of the Senate race because they were freaked out at the time, given her her gubernatorial run, uh, that she was not their kind of person. And uh, she was not a globalist. She was not part of the Bush faction. She didn't, you know, she went to war with the McCain's. The NRSC would be the natural home, and Mitch McConnell, as we know, started for at least the first year or the first year and a half. So now you have your bad guy, potentially. Your bad guy is Mitch McConnell. And then, of course, Steve Daines. They're talking about the National Republican Senatorial Committee. This is a campaign committee. They raise money for GOP senatorial candidates. Their goal, ostensibly, is to reelect Republican incumbents and promote new Republican Senate candidates. And the way they accomplish that goal is by taking money and then distributing money. Steve Daines of Montana, as he mentioned, is the current chair. Now, let's think back to those 2022 midterms. We were told that MAGA is what cost Republicans that midterm election. We got big, big wins from Ron DeSantis, Brian Kemp, and Greg Abbott. And we were told that the GOP establishment was really powerful. What was happening in the country was that people understood they needed a change from Democrats and Joe Biden, but they also wanted to reject MAGA and all MAGA candidates. So MAGA candidates around the country, quote unquote, lost in these rigged elections, whereas Ron DeSantis, Brian Kemp and Greg Abbott 
won in these rigged elections. And then we were immediately told, hey, the elections aren't rigged in these states. And the proof that the elections aren't rigged is because people with little R's next to their name won. Just like when Glenn Youngkin, quote unquote, won in Virginia in 2021. But they even went over the top of that in these claims. You might remember we were told that Democrat organizations were pushing funding toward those MAGA extremists, those far right extremists, because that's who they wanted to take on in the general election. So Democrats actually promoted all of these MAGA candidates who then lost. Oh, those Democrats, they're so clever with their election interference. That's really what won the day for them, getting all those MAGA candidates on the ballot who they could beat so easily because MAGA candidates are so unpalatable everywhere. And then, of course, conservative incorporated media, the GOP elite and establishment, these normie candidates, Ron DeSantis supporters in droves, all agreed with the uniparty left media that MAGA candidates were the problem. They agreed that their uniparty left controlled opposition outsmarted them in the primaries by funding those MAGA candidates. They wanted all of us to know that these MAGA candidates should have never been nominated. But because MAGA went out and defied the GOP elite and establishment, then it was up to them to prove a lesson to MAGA and agree with the uniparty left that our elections are not rigged at all. MAGA is actually the problem. And just like they did two years prior, supporting the legitimacy of Joe Biden as the winner of the 2020 election. They adopted all of the central narrative about the 2022 midterms and spread it everywhere. The Daily Wire, Town Hall, The Blaze, all of the Ron DeSantis supporting outlets. And of course, all of the neocon outlets like Commentary and National Review and Fox News. Everyone agreed that the elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. And they agreed that MAGA was the problem. And the only solution was to get rid of Donald Trump and all MAGA candidates. Everyone happily participated in that narrative. It was one of those moments when the uniparty left and the uniparty right completely agreed about something. Donald Trump is bad. MAGA is bad. And it's all their fault. So a few Democrat fundraising groups were able to get MAGA candidates through in the primaries, knowing that there was no way they were going to quote unquote win a rigged election in the general. And how did they know that those MAGA candidates wouldn't win the rigged elections in the midterms? Well, who do you think's rigging them? And if you're a still sleeping Standard issue uniparty right villager, you would say, oh, the Democrats are rigging them. Oh, really? So do the Republicans know that the Democrats are rigging or are you, my fine villager friend, the only person who has seen through this charade? And if my fair villager, you have seen through the charade, why are you still delegating your power and authority to people who haven't? These questions should be asked because that GOP establishment, well, those are the people 
telling you that these elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. Isn't it about time to wonder whether or not they're lying to you? And if they are lying to you, doesn't that mean they're participating in the system? Isn't it just a little strange that they keep telling you all these elections are legitimate, even though all the evidence suggests that they're not? And just a quick tangent, is everyone ready for these next nine months as all of the people who have told you that elections are not stolen and cannot be stolen begin to come back and tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know what? It turns out they are stolen, but we just found out about that right now. There was no evidence before. Now the evidence is out. Now the evidence is clear. And what we need to do is make sure that we win this next rigged election. That is what we are going to get from the GOP establishment media as this year progresses. And it will be up to people in MAGA to decide whether or not they can let go of their deep bonds with the characters on television. I just can't imagine my life without Ben Shapiro telling me how the world is. I'm just not the sort of person who feels confident disagreeing with Tucker Carlson. I mean, he knows everything. He's probably the best person who ever existed. Sooner or later, we have to see the Uniparty right for what it is, and we have to question the people who we think are on our side. That is, unless we simply don't care about the awakening, and all we want is a society where our liars and our criminals and our corrupt politicians are the ones said to be in control, rather than theirs. I mean, if that's what people want, then just switch the TV channel to the one that tells you that's how things are. They will market every possible version of the story to you to keep you believing the story. If anything can prevent this awakening from occurring, it would be people who are already awakened going back to sleep once the television tells them they've won. But let's get back to the uniparty right establishment and the National Republican Senatorial Committee. This is from November 16th, 2022, just eight days after the 2022 midterms. Some Republican senators call for evaluation of NRSC's spending decisions. A growing number of Senate Republicans are calling for a reassessment of the National Republican Senatorial Committee's spending decisions after the party failed to take back the majority in 2022, despite a favorable national political environment. The NRSC and the Senate Leadership Fund, the Mitch McConnell-aligned super PAC, have sparred for months over the quality of various candidates and when, where, and how to spend resources. Utah Senator Mitt Romney said Wednesday that he has not called for an audit of the NRSC, but he would like to see an evaluation of its initiatives, investments, fundraising, and payments to political consultants. How did various aspects of fundraising go? He asked how much was paid to various consultants and did they do the job we wanted them to do? Asked if he was concerned about any potential wrongdoing, Romney said no. Republican Senator Rick Scott, the NRSC chair, said in a statement that the Senate GOP campaign arm is more than happy to discuss its spending with senators. Politico first reported that a couple of lawmakers, Marsha Blackburn and Tom Tillis, privately called for an audit of the NRSC on Tuesday. 
Missouri Senator Josh Hawley said there was a distinct change in tone from members at the Senate GOP's closed door meeting on Wednesday. Senators backed off of that today, said Hawley. I don't know if there was a little indigestion about that, but let's go back a little further. This is the New York Times from February 13th, 2022. The headline is Inside McConnell's Campaign to Take Back the Senate and Thwart Trump. Senator Mitch McConnell is working furiously to bring allies to Washington who will buck Donald J. Trump. It's not going according to plan. And I'm not going to go through the entire article, but it's worth sharing a bit of this. As Mr. Trump works to retain his hold on the Republican Party, elevating a slate of friendly candidates in midterm elections, Mr. McConnell and his allies are quietly, desperately maneuvering to try to thwart him. The loose alliance, which was once thought of as the GOP establishment, for months has been engaged in a high stakes candidate recruitment campaign full of phone calls, meetings, polling memos, and promises of millions of dollars. It's all aimed at recapturing the Senate majority, but the election also represents what could be Republicans' last chance to reverse the spread of Trumpism before it fully consumes their party. Mr. McConnell for years pushed Mr. Trump's agenda and only rarely opposed him in public. But the message that he delivers privately now is unsparing, if debatable. Mr. Trump is losing political altitude and need not be feared in a primary. He has told Mr. Ducey in repeated phone calls as the Senate leaders' lieutenants share polling data they argue proves it. In conversations with senators and would-be senators, Mr. McConnell is blunt about the damage he believes Mr. Trump has done to the GOP, according to those who have spoken to him. Privately, he has declared he won't let unelectable, quote-unquote, goofballs win Republican primaries. So Mitch McConnell's goal of preventing MAGA candidates for running for the Senate in the 2022 midterms was no secret to anybody. And if you're an establishment Republican, you actually cheered this campaign on. People in the GOP establishment are so scared of the existential threat, the existential crises that Donald Trump causes for them and for their interests, totally aligned with the Uniparty, the evil twin faction in America, totally aligned with the global regime and its agenda. Trump poses a threat. MAGA poses a threat. They want all of that gone. And because they can't just come out and say these people pose a threat to our interests, to our power, to our status, to our wealth and to our way of doing business. They instead say that MAGA candidates can't win. And then they do everything they can to prove that to America first voters so that America first voters will get scared of not having people with little R's next to their name in illegitimate office and will simply revert to complying with the GOP establishment and meeting all of their demands. This is just yet another facet of the problem of choosing these pragmatic and logistical concerns over actual principled concerns. It's a problem with focusing on who the quote unquote elected officials are and what their party affiliation is and making sure that we have enough of our side on there rather than focusing on the fact that the elections are stolen and they've already stripped us of our voice. So it's not difficult 
at all to understand that the corruption that was illustrated in that released audio from the conversation between Carrie Lake and Jeff DeWitt, it's not hard to understand that's actually how things go. And it's not hard to believe that Mitch McConnell and his associates in the Republican establishment could absolutely be behind an effort like that. They have already been behind an effort like that. It's not like they do this stuff in the shadows. They do it right out in the open. And they actually think they're justified in doing it. One of the leading Ron DeSantis simps, one of the worst people in that 15-month-long info op, is named John Cardillo. And John Cardillo tweeted this morning in response to this Kerry Lake situation, one of the most annoying things about the Kerry Lake Jeff DeWitt drama is that people are calling it a bribe. You cannot bribe a private citizen who has no role in government. There's nothing illegal about offering a person money to choose a different career path. So again, we are, of course, operating with extremely principled people in the Ron DeSantis simp op. It's all kayfabe. Remember, these people are just part of an op. They're not actually terrible people. They just play terrible people on Twitter. And then when Donald Trump is publicly recognized as the president, they are totally on the Trump train, friends of MAGA and just there to help and push conservative causes and the conservative movement forward. Of course, when Donald Trump is not recognized as president, they are the most maliciously anti-MAGA, most unprincipled people in the world. But just remember, it's all kayfabe. And speaking of kayfabe and the DeSantis op, how would that whole thing have gone if everyone simply assumed it was kayfabe and never bothered to speak up for MAGA or speak out about what the Ron team was doing and how they were representing that candidate? how they were going after Donald Trump and his supporters. Would it have all gone the same way if no one had bothered pushing back on that because they all knew it was kayfabe? I mean, maybe it would have. Maybe it would have. If you want to make that argument, I would be open to listening to the argument. But that's certainly not something that is just obviously true, that you can just assume is true. If all of MAGA just wrote that off as kayfabe and allowed them to say whatever they wanted about Trump and MAGA and push that view and no one ever pushed back and Fox News was hyping it and all of the mainstream conservative outlets like the Daily Wire and the Blaze were hyping Ron DeSantis with no pushback anywhere. You don't think people could have gotten on that Ron train? Would it have somehow ended up better? If we had just given them all an open runway and said, hey, yeah, go take off, fly as high as you can, Ron. We're not worried about the fact that you are directing and targeting the hate movement at Donald Trump and his supporters. We've determined that you're a secret white hat. So just do whatever you want. And sure, if all your supporters online are the worst people to ever exist. That's no problem. It's all worth it in order to wake up the normies. That's what we're doing. We're trying to bring the normies up to speed or at least up to speed with where public information was back in 2021. I mean, so they're three years behind, whatever. But let's think about this argument for a second. John Cardillo is arguing that it is not bribery to offer Carrie Lake anything she wants 
in order to prevent her from running for political office, because at that point, she is just a private citizen and you can only bribe someone in office. Well, let's see if there's something to that. It's a bold argument. Let's see if there's something there. So the definition of bribery, according to Wikipedia, bribery is the offering, giving, receiving, or soliciting of any item of value to influence the actions of an official or other person in charge of a public or legal duty. With regard to governmental operations, essentially, bribery is, quote, corrupt solicitation, acceptance, or transfer of value in exchange for official action, end quote. Gifts of money or other items of value that are otherwise available to everyone on an equivalent basis and not for dishonest purposes are not bribery. Offering a discount or a refund to all purchasers is a legal rebate and is not bribery. For example, if it is legal for an employee of a public utilities commission involved in electric rate regulation to accept a rebate on electric service that reduces their cost of electricity when the rebate is available to other residential electric customers. However, giving a discount specifically to that employee to influence them to look favorably on the electric utilities rate increase applications would be considered bribery. A bribe is an illegal or unethical gift or lobbying effort bestowed to influence the recipient's conduct. It may be money, goods, rights in action, property, preferment, privilege, emolument, objects of value, advantage, or merely a promise to induce or influence the action, vote, or influence of a person in an official or public capacity. So there's a lot to that definition. And upon reading that definition, I imagine John Cardildo would say all of that is fine and good, but Carrie Lake is still not a public official. She was considering whether or not to run for Senate. They were offering her money to pursue a different career path. She is not a public official. Now, is Cardildo just making an argument for why this particular situation does not fit the technical definition of bribery? Or is he arguing that it should be okay from a moral, from an ethical sense to allow this to be common practice? Because it seems like he's suggesting the second. And that would make sense considering he was a Ron DeSantis supporter. He was an incentivized part of an info op to support Ron DeSantis as president and to remove Donald Trump from the political picture. And it's possible that in the future we may find out that Ron DeSantis himself participated in some sort of incentive structure to run in the first place. John Cardillo is not the sort of person who seems to be above this sort of political wheeling and dealing. The guy wears see-through sunglasses during the day wherever he goes all the time and dresses like he shops at a mall in 2003. He's not exactly what you would consider a serious person. But let's look at what bribery means according to the U.S. Code. This is Cornell Law School, 18 U.S. Code, Section 201, Bribery of Public Officials and Witnesses. Now, to be clear, I'm not attesting to the validity of any of these laws. I'm just saying here's what it is. So they begin by explaining the definitions. 
The term public official means member of Congress, delegate, or resident commissioner, either before or after such official has qualified, or an officer or employee or person acting for or on behalf of the United States or any department, agency, or branch of government thereof, including the District of Columbia, in any official function, under or by authority of any such department, agency, or branch of government, or a juror. And of course, this is the federal law, so this applies to federal officials. The term person who has been selected to be a public official means any person who has been nominated or appointed to be a public official or has been officially informed that such person will be so nominated or appointed. The term official act means any decision or action on any question, matter, cause, suit, proceeding, or controversy, which may at any time be pending or which may by law be brought before any public official in such officials official capacity or in such officials place of trust or profit subsection B whoever directly or indirectly corruptly gives offers or promises anything of value to any public official or person who has been selected to be a public official or offers or promises any public official or any person who has been selected to be a public official to give anything of value to any other person or entity with intent A, to influence any official act, or B, to influence such public official or person who has been selected to be a public official, to commit or aid in committing or collude in or allow any fraud or make opportunity for the commission of any fraud on the United States, or to induce such public official or such person who has been selected to be a public official to do or omit to do any act in violation of the lawful duty of such official or person. So Cardillo still seems to be sort of right about the DeWitt and Kerry Lake exchange, but it's possible that that's not where the bribery is occurring. See, Jeff DeWitt is an elected official, but only within the party. He's not a state elected official of Arizona. He is just the chair of the GOP in Arizona. And the GOP, of course, is a political party, a private organization. Now, I don't know Arizona law to tell you that that distinction could be at play, but let's keep going. Part two, being a public official or person selected to be a public official directly or indirectly corruptly demands, seeks, receives, accepts or agrees to receive or accept anything of value personally or for any other person or entity in return for being influenced in the performance of any official act being influenced to commit or aid in committing or to collude in or allow any fraud or make opportunity for the commission of any fraud on the United States or being induced to do or admit to do any act in violation of the official duty of such official or person. So what we're dealing with so far is people in official government office or soon to be in office influencing or being influenced to take some particular step in their official capacity. And so Cardillo would still make the same point. Carrie Lake was not a public official. She was just a person considering running for office. She ran for governor and she lost. Cardillo was one of the DeSantis simps out there, most loudly proclaiming that Trump and Carrie Lake and everyone like them lost in the 2022 midterms. It was all MAGA's fault. And these people said all they care about is winning. All they ever cared about 
was winning. They said that for 15 months while losing in more spectacular ways every day and attempting to tear down Donald Trump and all his supporters. Now, I haven't figured out how that means they cared the most about winning. But hey, if it's all a pro-Trump red team op, if it's all kayfabe, then certainly they ultimately helped Donald Trump win because they perfectly illustrated what it was about Republican politics that is worthy of everyone's scorn. The next two sections are about influence over people's testimony. You can't pay someone to lie under oath. And the rest of it continues along the same lines. So none of it includes a private citizen who is considering whether or not to run for office. And so we can say that if John Cardillo's not right, and maybe he is right, but either way, he has brought up an important point. Are we to just accept that politics can operate this way, that this is something legal and therefore something moral or ethical. It's not overtly outlawed. And therefore, we not only have to accept it as legal, we have to think it's okay. This is not how our politics should operate. We shouldn't have wealthy, powerful people in Washington, D.C. operating in some sense outside of their official capacity as part of the NRSC and offering payoffs to private citizens so that they won't run for public office. Regardless of whether or not this is legal, it's certainly not ethical. And it absolutely represents undue influence and interference with our politics, our electoral politics, and ultimately the people who will end up representing us. When they talk about how good people don't end up in politics, this is one of the methods that prevents that from happening. Carrie Lake in her live stream last night mentioned that after she had won the primary for governor, a major GOP establishment donor got in touch with her, offered to put a million dollars into her campaign, and then followed up with a list of asks, things that Carrie Lake would do upon receiving this million dollars. And part of that ask was to disavow Donald Trump, to separate herself from Donald Trump, of course, let the election denial stuff go and just play ball when she has to. Now, does that sort of quid pro quo constitute legal bribery of a public official since she is not yet a public official? Is the technical answer to that question? No. What happens if she accepts the million dollars, if she agrees to all of the asks, the terms under which she would receive that million dollars? and then goes into office and fulfills all those requests. That money absolutely influenced a public official in the public execution of their office. That seems to fulfill every part, even though she wouldn't have been a public official at the time the deal was made. So it sounds like we're being told by the corrupt people who write our laws that once again, They've found a loophole. Now, we'll get back to Senate corruption in a second, but let's take a second for some House corruption. James O'Keefe, formerly of Project Veritas and now of O'Keefe Media Group, released this video yesterday that seems to be hidden camera video featuring a D.C. intern named Titus Warren. Now, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this video. 
And it's kind of just amazing that everybody involved in this corrupt D.C. swamp is just so ridiculous and incompetent. But considering the Kerry Lake audio that was released, it seemed like this video hit at the right time. Have a listen to this short segment. Titus tells us that votes are not suggestions, that members are pressured through the use of leverage gained by the sex parties in how they should vote. A lot of the time, people show up late and don't show up at all to vote. The majority of the members that come late are always, nine out of ten times, come over from the night before. Come to the sex party. It's like they get them on something and then they make them vote a certain way? So, on the voting, okay, so, they already... So when you go in, depending on what party, you already have a piece of paper that tells you how to vote. Known as a suggestion. Right, right, right. It's not a suggestion, technically. It's how you're supposed to vote. So they're not actually thinking. It's not a suggestion. It's what we need you to vote. Because we know we have information about you. Right. Really? So it's, it's never like. But who comes up with these suggestions? The parties, the, whatever committee they're on. So, for example, if they're on a, um, let's say, small business committee. Yeah. There's the Republican side and Democrat side. They both have their different papers. So these suggestive votes are not suggestions at all. No. And they have, and they get papers, and they look. They have a, a group chat that they tell people how to vote. They tell people how to vote, yeah. and they get information about them and use it as as uh, blackmail. In a way, yes. If you, if you ever run for office, and, and you have been in where I am, you would use that as leverage to win your campaign. Who's behind this? Like, just the party, the party leaders? So this D.C. intern, Titus Warren, throughout most of this video, describes various types of parties. He talks about members of Congress, men and women, who have spouses, but when they are in D.C., they basically are just there having sex with one another and attending various sex parties where they get drunk and people have sex. Woman on woman, man on man, doesn't matter. This is very similar to what Madison Cawthorn was talking about before he was removed and what George Santos was talking about before he was removed. Titus Warren says explicitly that people's actions at these parties are used to blackmail them, to gain leverage over them. And if that audio was a bit hard to understand, he's saying that members will show up late and show up late for votes nine out of 10 times. It's because they're hung over from one of these parties the night before and before the vote, they get little cards that tell them how they will be voting. They're referred to as suggestions, but they're not suggestions. It's what is expected of them. Different members, based on whatever political factors, will have to vote up or down, yes or no, on a given piece of legislation. All of it is planned out and orchestrated before the vote by the uniparty left and the uniparty right. They agree. These members will vote this way on this. These members will vote the other way on this so that they can pass all the legislation they need to pass in the way they need to pass it. And so they can control 
all the narratives that emerge from this corrupt dealing. Again, at no point are these people ever doing the work of the American people. They are never doing the work of the constituents. They are only doing what they are told to do by the powers that be within the global regime's evil twin faction in the United States, the Uniparty. And if you're someone like Mitch McConnell, who's been in office forever and who has been in party leadership forever, what that means is that you accomplish the job better than the other people. You do the regime's bidding the best. In fact, you're so good at it that you can be trusted with forcing everyone else to do the regime's bidding too. So it's interesting that these issues of corruption within the Senate GOP come up while the Senate is deep in negotiations over H.R. 2. A deal was reached last week to push through another continuing resolution, moving the January 19th and February 2nd deadlines to get these spending bills accomplished to March 1st and March 8th. They've kicked the can down the road again. They decided to print off some more money to keep spending on whatever they're spending it on, to keep sending it to foreign shores, to keep paying off their friends and allies who keep them in power and wield their political influence. And that is a bit of an interesting move because what seemed to be a period where something had to get done, they had to come to terms on these spending deals is now just a period where we're watching some kind of strange narratives play out in public, having no particular deadline and no dire need associated with them. And what that seems to be doing is exposing a lot of strange things as well. Let's start with the Washington Post from earlier today. Ukraine for border negotiations on the rocks after Trump comments. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell acknowledged that reality in a private meeting Wednesday. So Mitch McConnell is in a precarious situation with these negotiations and with Ukraine funding. At the same time, he's getting heat for wielding corrupt influence behind the scenes. And of course, the GOP establishment, as always, is rallying to protect cocaine Mitch, just as John Cardillo was doing in that Twitter post. Cocaine Mitch, you see, is never the problem. Mitch McConnell is the solution to all of it. Now, sure, Mitch McConnell has totally glitched out and shut down multiple times in the last year. And yes, he disappeared for about two months after bumping his head at a public event. But we're told he's still sharp as a tack and the man who wields all that power in the Senate GOP. So let's get to this article from The Washington Post. The fate of a bipartisan border deal that Senate Republicans demanded to fund Ukraine aid appeared dimmer this week after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell acknowledged to Republicans that former President Donald Trump's opposition to the deal complicated its future. See, this negotiation is supposed to be happening between these two deadlines, this January 19th and February 2nd deadline, that period of two weeks. The regime desperately needs their Ukraine funding to keep all of that going. And the deal they're going to make, the way they're going to sell it to the public, 
is with an agreement to provide that Ukraine aid so long as the Democrats, in quotes, will agree to the Republicans demands on how they're going to fix that situation down at the border. And what they intend to do down at the border is increase the surveillance state. They're going to increase their surveillance mechanisms they're going to use to track the biometrics of people entering across the border. They're going to use drones to monitor. They have a whole system built out, set up, planned out, ready to roll. They just want funding for that. And once they've increased the surveillance capacity down at the border, well, then shouldn't they expand it into our blue crime infested cities? They want to reduce crime. You want to be safe. Don't you want to be safe? If you want to be safe, you're just going to have to give up a little bit more of your liberty. And hey, you don't really have it anyway. So why don't you allow the expansion of this surveillance state? We already have all your data. We already monitor everything you do. So just allow us to increase the surveillance state even further. That is what all of this is aimed at. And they're going to tell you that all of that must happen right now in order to secure the border. Later, it will just be to keep you safe from crime in your own city. But right now, they're only turning the eye of the dirty bird onto these illegal aliens crossing our southern border. And of course, they also want to add more border patrol agents, not to keep people out, but to process their asylum claims, even though they are not going through proper ports of entry in order to claim asylum. So more funding for technology and surveillance and more funding and personnel to process illegal aliens at the border. These are the things Republicans say they need in order to agree with the uniparty left on their Ukraine spending requests. You got to love these hard bargains they strike. The uniparty right increases the surveillance state and increases personnel to process illegal aliens. And in return for all those goodies that the people just want so bad, they will give the uniparty left all the Ukraine spending they desire. Isn't that wonderful? The evil twin faction, the uniparty in America, the representatives of the global regime here in our country will get everything they want and people will come away calling this a win for Republicans after accepting scraps and crumbs because they have now been riled up into insanity over the illegal immigration problem to the point where they will accept absolutely anything. Now, is the illegal alien problem bigger now than it's been before? There is absolutely no reason to believe that this problem has been going on for years. It's been going on for decades. We've been talking about it on this show for years. And let's be clear that I understand illegal immigration is a massive problem. It's not only a massive problem here. It's a massive problem everywhere around the world where the global regime is operating its slave trade. So I am not making any excuses about that. That said, these Republican demands do not solve the problem and aren't intended to solve the problem. The uniparty right and uniparty left operate and benefit from all of this together. They are not trying to solve a problem they caused. And when the solution to the problem they caused does not end the problem, 
and does help them pursue other elements of their regime on behalf of global communism internationally, the trick becomes pretty obvious. The media coverage over these last few weeks has focused everyone's attention on the illegal immigration problem. Why is that happening in early 2024 in a so-called election year? Why didn't it happen last year? Why didn't it happen the year before or the year before that? It happened while Donald Trump was in office. Donald Trump was focused on the illegal alien problem. And what did they do in response? They claimed he was putting kids in cages. AOC went down there to cry. And now with the fake administration fully embracing an open borders policy, fully embracing the global slave trade, it's not till now, three years later, that the GOP establishment actually wants something to be done about this. And they are pushing this narrative right now as hard as they have pushed any narrative in a long time. It is fully saturated in media, in the podcast sphere, everywhere. All we're hearing about is immigration. Back to the Washington Post. Republicans demanded stringent border policy changes to pass $60 billion in Ukraine aid requested by the White House last year. And a small group of Senate negotiators were closing in on a deal last week when Trump slammed the negotiations in a social media post that said he would only accept a quote unquote perfect deal. In a closed door meeting Wednesday afternoon, McConnell, who is pushing for Ukraine funding and reluctantly agreed to tie the foreign aid to border security, acknowledged that there might not be a path to passage for a border deal, according to a person familiar with his comments who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the private meeting. McConnell's doubts were aired after a significant number of Republican senators backed up by right wing media have increasingly vocalized their opposition to a border security deal before details have been released, and even as they have raised alarm bells about the influx of migrants at the border. So the Washington Post is trying to let you know that it's actually Republicans' fault this border problem isn't going to get solved. They have a problem with this bill, even though they haven't seen all the details yet, and even though they're out there everywhere complaining about illegal immigration. Negotiations were focused on making it harder for migrants to seek asylum, changes to the president's use of parole for migrants, and a mechanism to effectively close down the border on days when crossings were particularly high. The overall aid package includes military assistance for Israel, Ukraine, and Indo-Pacific nations, as well as humanitarian aid and U.S. border funds. See that? We get it all. We get to fund two regime proxy wars and make sure there's enough money to start funding a third one whenever we need to begin money laundering in an attempt to pretend to save Taiwan. Negotiations are ongoing, McConnell told reporters Thursday morning. But optimism is low that border legislation can advance now that the Republican leader has expressed his doubts about its chances. Leadership has started discussing dropping the border security portion of the aid package and moving forward with a supplemental funding bill that would include aid to Ukraine, Israel, and the Indo-Pacific, according to three people familiar with the discussions. So you see that they're just going to focus on funding these three foreign wars and not worry about the border thing. Their BS bipartisan approach 
didn't work. It's been rejected by Donald Trump. So now all of this is Donald Trump's fault. Maybe they can even make Trump the villain about the border stuff. McConnell told his conference Wednesday that the circumstances for a border deal have changed, pointing to Trump's probable presidential nomination after his win in the New Hampshire primary, according to the person familiar with his remarks, which were first reported by Punchbowl News. Trump publicly encouraged Republicans on his Truth Social social media account not to accept any border deal with Democrats last week, pledging to get a better deal when he is president, a theory several Republicans questioned. House Speaker Mike Johnson said on Fox News recently that Trump was extremely adamant that the deal should be rejected. He and I have been talking about this pretty frequently, Johnson said. So that's good that Donald Trump and Mike Johnson are talking. It's hard to see why any Republicans would be questioning the idea of Trump getting a better deal when he is publicly recognized as president again. There is nothing suspect about that. Of course, he would get a better deal. And of course, he would not want a deal to be made right now in an election year that would tie his hands in any way about what he wants to do when he comes back. That is assuming all of this is legitimate in the first place. And I do not assume that. McConnell's comments came during a meeting on the subject of funding Ukraine as it continues to fend off a Russian invasion, a top priority for McConnell, even as it has become unpopular among Republican voters. Several GOP senators have argued against continuing to send U.S. aid to the embattled country. Isn't that amazing that the Republican leadership can know that Republican voters don't want them to do the thing they want to do? And they're going to go ahead and do it anyway. Do we really have to pretend these people go to Washington to represent constituents? They don't. Their job is to communicate the desires of the global regime to their constituents. They exist to market the global regime's agenda to normal people. It is not the other way around. Things have been totally inverted. Some conservatives have argued that a deal on the border would give a win to President Biden on one of his most vulnerable issues as he's less than a year away from his reelection. Republican defenders of the negotiations pointed out that if passed, the deal would represent the first time in decades that any negotiations over border security didn't include Democrat demands to provide citizenship or legal residency to undocumented immigrants living in the United States, such as the DREAM Act. The article closes with a quote from Mitt Romney. I think the border is a very important issue for Donald Trump, and the fact that he would communicate to Republican senators and congresspeople that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame Biden for it is really appalling. And how about that for leaders of the Republican Party? Good old Mitt Romney pretending that the border problem would be solved by this deal they're failing to make with Democrats to provide in exchange the funding for three totally unnecessary proxy wars that the American people really have no stake in whatsoever. We're being told as the American people that we need to send money to Ukraine, to Israel and to Taiwan to quote unquote Defend democracies, which really means to defend regime proxy states against their own people. And also, we need to give them all sorts of money to not fix a problem 
they've caused while further implementing their agenda. So they win in every aspect. The people lose in every aspect and in every aspect, more money is printed and the indentured servitude of the American people and generations of their offspring is extended even further. And let's just have a look at this article from the Associated Press. January 20th, election year politics threatens Senate border deal as Trump rallies opposition. And we will skip down about halfway in this article. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, meanwhile, has been strongly making the case for the deal. He's told fellow Republicans that the border package, which he insisted to be paired with Biden's $110 billion request for war aid to Ukraine, Israel, and other national security priorities, is a rare opportunity to get stronger policies through Congress. So it's not just the $60 billion for Ukraine and some money for Israel and some for the Indo-Pacific region. Don't say Taiwan. You can't say Taiwan. NPR has it as Ukraine, Israel, and other national security priorities, $110 billion that Joe Biden requested. The proposal crafted by the Senate would toughen the asylum process with a goal of cutting the number of migrants who come to the southern border to make an asylum claim. Oh, how effective that will be. Negotiators have worked on some policies intended to aid immigrants. The plan could include a pathway to citizenship for Afghans who came during the U.S. withdrawal from their country. Oh, yeah, that's everybody's priority, along with work permits for migrants who enter the asylum system. Oh, yes. Let the illegal aliens have work permits. According to two people familiar with the talks who were granted anonymity to discuss the private negotiations. Oh, state media, NPR, I'm sure that's what happened. But the package will mostly leave out broad immigration changes like protections for immigrants who entered the U.S. illegally as children that have been foundational in previous Senate bills. And they have a quote from Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, who is coming to be seen as one of the real clowns in this process. He said it will be by far the most conservative border security bill in four decades. Conservative just basically means whatever they want it to mean at this point. So you can see what's happening here. The uniparty right establishment is fully aligned with the uniparty left on wanting funding for Ukraine for Israel and for Taiwan. And since they know they can't come out and tell Republican voters any of that in an election year, they have to pretend they're going to get something in return for giving Joe Biden, in quotes, $110 billion to give to foreign countries. Now, what they're getting in return for the border is essentially worthless. It's not going to fix the problem at the border. There's no chance it's going to fix the problem at the border and it will create other problems that will eventually infringe on the rights and livelihoods of American citizens. It's not a solution. It's not nearly good enough. And you can't bring that to Republican voters in an election year either, unless you can figure out a way to convince Republican voters that this is a solution to all of their problems. Or if you can convince them that it's sort of a solution, but anything at all 
is better than nothing because we need something based on the problem being so, so bad. Now, how do you shift that leverage point? Well, you convince them all that the problem really is far worse than they could have ever possibly imagined. And if you make people get upset enough to demand that something, anything must be done, well, then you have them at the point that they will be happy to accept the scraps and the crumbs. You give them just something, anything, and they are going to love you for it because they were in such a desperate situation. The situation had gotten so bad they will be willing to accept anything. And that is about what they've done at this point. We have people out there who believe that the illegal alien problem right now in this moment is the worst it has ever been. They ignored it for years. Their representatives ignored it for years. Their media ignored it for years. But right now, it's really, really bad. And right now is the only moment we could ever solve it. Therefore, we have to agree to these negotiations. We can accept the Senate's terms, even though it does absolutely nothing for us except extend our indentured servitude. We can accept their terms because the problem is just that bad. We are all wound up. We are all bent out of shape. We are all scared of illegal aliens and the problems that it will cause down through the generations. We will accept absolutely anything from anyone with a little R next to their name. Go out and get us a big win, Mitch. But he's not going to get us a big win. And the establishment of the party, the establishment politicians working along with the establishment media on the uniparty right, they have gotten everyone into a frenzy so that they will accept whatever scraps and crumbs the establishment, the uniparty, the regime is willing to provide, except it's going to backfire. And it may have already backfired. In fact, it may have already backfired last week when they took that continuing resolution and pushed this second deadline out into March. Rather than being February 2nd, that deadline was moved to March 8th. So now, Next Friday is not the deadline it was expected to be. We have the media and Republicans going full frenzy on this immigration thing, trying to manipulate the narrative and use it for leverage to get $110 billion for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. And now there's no deadline. There's no pressure. There is no reason to make this deal, which is why Donald Trump has said, don't make a deal unless the deal's perfect. The GOP establishment, the uniparty establishment, their leverage has been removed. Their deadlines have been removed. And now they have Donald Trump in the conversation, perfectly willing to deal with whatever backlash the media might be able to create about not getting a border deal done, knowing that Donald Trump is definitionally and by identity the most anti-illegal immigration politician in the country. There is no louder voice in opposition to the illegal alien problem than Donald Trump. You can go back to 2015 from the moment he walked down that elevator. Everybody knows Donald Trump is anti-illegal immigration. He wanted to build the wall. He wanted travel bans. They spent years trying to pretend that he's racist. He got Mexico to control the border. 
It is part of people's understanding of Donald Trump's identity that he is anti-illegal immigration. You cannot turn around and attempt to recast Donald Trump as the problem and Donald Trump as the reason why the illegal immigration isn't being stopped and isn't being solved. It is an impossible, impossible marketing strategy. Donald Trump is a master brander. Part of Donald Trump's brand is being anti-illegal immigration. You cannot flip that around and say that Donald Trump is soft on illegal immigration compared to Mitch McConnell and James Lankford and the rest of the Uniparty who will do anything to get funding for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. This is the same reason why the Ron DeSantis people were never able to land a glove on Donald Trump when it came to COVID or when it came to the vaccines or when it came to abortion or to anything else. Donald Trump has already been identified not only by himself, but by the mainstream media as anti-illegal immigration. He was the guy who was at odds with the science and the experts about COVID. More people than would ever admit it went out and got the vaccines specifically so that they could tell other people they were not conspiracy theorists. They were not like those MAGA extremists and people in the GOP establishment who complained, for instance, that Donald Trump allows for abortion exceptions in the cases of rape, incest or the life of the mother can never get past the fact that Donald Trump's the one who appointed three justices to the Supreme Court who ultimately overturned Roe versus Wade. They continue having to make arguments against the way they themselves have defined Donald Trump. It cannot ever work and they don't understand it. There is no situation where that strategy is ever going to work against Donald Trump. They spent years creating a certain identity for Donald Trump. And now they are trying to go in reverse against all of that because he's not giving them what they want. Things aren't going their way. Now they need a different identity for Donald Trump. And that's not on offer. There is no chance they will be successful at this strategy at any point ever. Now, speaking of Supreme Court justices, this is from Monday in the New York Times. Supreme Court backs Biden for now in dispute with Texas over border barrier. The Supreme Court sided with the Biden administration on Monday in a dispute over a concertina wire barrier erected by Texas along the Mexican border. The justices temporarily lifted an appeals court's ruling that had generally prohibited federal officials from removing the wire. The Supreme Court's brief order gave no reasons, which is typical when the justices act on emergency applications. The vote was five to four, with Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Amy Coney Barrett joining the court's three liberal members to form a majority. The dispute is part of an escalating legal battle between Texas and the Biden administration over border security. Since 2021, Governor Greg Abbott, a third-term Republican, has mounted an aggressive multi-billion dollar campaign to impose more stringent measures at the southern border to deter migrants from entering the country. Those include erecting concertina wire, 
along the banks of the Rio Grande, as well as installing a barrier of buoys in the river. A three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit last month limited the ability of federal Border Patrol agents to cut the wire. The panel prohibited agents from damaging or destroying or otherwise interfering with Texas's seawire fence while the appeal is pending, but made an exception for medical emergencies that are likely to result in, quote, serious bodily injury or death. Ken Paxton, Texas attorney general, sued the administration in October, saying that Border Patrol agents had unlawfully destroyed state property and thwarted the state's efforts to block migrants from crossing the border. According to the lawsuit, border agents cut the wire at least 20 times to admit aliens illegally entering Texas. Migrants have been injured by the wire and drownings in the Rio Grande's swift currents have become more common. In court papers, Mr. Paxton argued that federal officials using bolt cutters and forklifts had destroyed parts of the barrier for no reason other than to allow migrants to enter. In the Biden administration's emergency application, Solicitor General Elizabeth B. Prologar rejected the contention that federal officials had done anything improper. Border Patrol agents' exercise of discretion regarding the means of enabling the apprehension, inspection, and processing of non-citizens in no way suggests that they cut the wire for impermissible purposes, she wrote. So the illegitimate Biden administration is essentially arguing that Texas's actions are making it harder for the Border Patrol to do its job. And so the court said that Border Patrol was allowed to go ahead and cut that wire if they needed to. And in response, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has essentially said, if you cut the wire, we are just going to put wire back up again. And now we find ourselves embroiled in a contest about states' rights. The United States government is obliged to guarantee a Republican form of government in the states. They're supposed to protect the states from invasion, etc. And because they are failing to do that, the argument is that the state then has the right to step up and do that itself. Greg Abbott published this statement in the form of a letter yesterday. The federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states. The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states, including immigration laws on the books right now. President Biden has refused to enforce those laws and has even violated them. The result is that he has smashed records for illegal immigration. Despite having been put on notice in a series of letters, one of which I delivered to him by hand, President Biden has ignored Texas's demands that he perform his constitutional duties. He also hasn't come down to Texas to check out the border. What's with that? It's like he's not even president or something. President Biden has violated his oath to faithfully execute immigration laws enacted by Congress. Instead of prosecuting immigrants for the federal crime of illegal entry, President Biden has sent his lawyers into federal courts to sue Texas for taking action to secure the border. President Biden has instructed his agencies to ignore federal statutes that mandate the detention of illegal immigrants. The effect is to illegally allow their en masse parole into the United States. By wasting taxpayer dollars to tear open Texas's border security infrastructure, President Biden has enticed 
illegal immigrants away from the 28 legal entry points along this state's southern border, bridges where nobody drowns, and into the dangerous waters of the Rio Grande. Under President Biden's lawless border policies, more than 6 million illegal immigrants have crossed our southern border in just three years. That is more than the population of 33 different states in this country. This illegal refusal to protect the states has inflicted unprecedented harm on the people all across the United States. James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution foresaw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats like cartels smuggling millions of illegal immigrants across the border. That is why the framers included both Article 4, Section 4, which promises that the federal government, quote, shall protect each state against invasion, end quote, and Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which acknowledges the, quote, state's sovereign interest in protecting their borders, end quote. The failure of the Biden administration to fulfill the duties by Article 4, Section 4 has triggered Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which reserves to this state the right of self-defense. For these reasons, I have already declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 to invoke Texas's constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. That authority is the supreme law of the land and supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary. The Texas National Guard, the Texas Department of Public Safety, and other Texas personnel are acting on that authority as well as state law to secure the Texas border. Now, since Abbott published that letter yesterday, some governors around the country have announced they're on his side. That list includes Ron DeSantis of Florida, Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma, Christy Nome of South Dakota, Brian Kemp of Georgia, and Greg Gianforte of Montana. Now, Gianforte is the body slamming governor, and Christy Nome has always seemed mostly cool, but Stitt is a little bit of a squish. And then you've got Ron DeSantis, Brian Kemp, and Glenn Youngkin, none of whom should be trusted at all. More states joined that little coalition today. We had Sarah Huckabee Sanders in Arkansas saying they stand with Texas. Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, who was a major Ron DeSantis supporter, announced on X, formerly Twitter, that she is joining that little coalition. You've got Kay Ivey of Alabama joining that little coalition and Louisiana's new governor, Jeff Landry, announcing that he is siding with Texas as well. So we got some good ones. We got some bad ones. Maybe they're all good ones. Maybe we'll find that out someday, or maybe they're all bad ones. We could find that out too. It's a little strange that so many governors are stepping up to do something about the illegal immigration problem right now, while illegal immigration is being hyped as the most important issue that has ever affected this country. And don't get me wrong, it's an important one, but there's a lot of hype right now from the media and all of that at the same time, they're trying to get this spending package that is going to send billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Is that a coincidence? 
There is virtually no way in the world that that is a coincidence. Now, if you want to say this is all the disclosure and exposure rollout, this is a quote unquote white hat info op that's going to wake up the normies and finally teach the country about what our immigration problem really is. Well, hey, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But also, maybe you're not right. And maybe what's happening is a big show and tell about the immigration story designed to lead American sentiment to a place where it will be more than happy to accept the scraps and the crumbs that are on offer from the Republican establishment in the Senate. Turn up the chaos and the discord as high as possible so that people get to be in such a frenzy that they will allow the regime to push forward whatever it wants and then celebrate once it happens. Can you imagine a scenario a couple of weeks from now? where the hosts on the Daily Wire and the Blaze are singing the praises of this compromise bill passing. Well, gang, we didn't get everything we wanted, but sometimes something is better than nothing, especially when the problem gets as bad as it got down by the southern border. It's good that we had that principled constitutional battle over federalism, over states' rights. But at the end of the day, we didn't have the Senate majority thanks to those MAGA Republicans. And so we got the best thing we could. We should just take the win and move on. All this is happening at the same time that Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and others are out there letting the public know, yes, the immigration thing is a big problem, but it's Donald Trump who's preventing us from getting it solved. The GOP establishment lost with Ron DeSantis, lost with Nikki Haley. And now they are staging this elaborate nonsense at the Texas southern border in order to pin the immigration problem on Donald Trump. But don't worry. Don't worry. All they care about is defeating Joe Biden in the fall. That's what they always tell us. And it's got to be true, right? Mitch McConnell, he's like the Senate leader. What a storied, legendary, rock solid conservative Mitch McConnell is. He would never want to hand any wins to the Democrats, even though he is now widely seen as a Joe Biden ally relative to the MAGA right in the House. And even though all of this is being done so that they can secure that $110 billion of so-called aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Now, Democrats in Congress, for their part, are going absolutely bonkers. Yesterday, Joaquin Castro wrote on X, formerly Twitter, Governor Greg Abbott is using the Texas National Guard to obstruct and create chaos at the border. If Abbott is defying yesterday's Supreme Court ruling, POTUS needs to establish sole federal control of the Texas National Guard now. So Joaquin Castro, representative from Texas, Democrat, is encouraging the fake president, Joe Biden, to seize control of Texas's National Guard. That's quite bold for people who thought Donald Trump was a dictator. They were worried about Donald Trump sending the National Guard anywhere to deal with rioters from BLM Antifa. They called federal officers protecting federal courthouses Stormtroopers, 
and threw bags of feces and frozen water bottles and canned food items at these federal officers and tried to burn out their retinas with laser pens. That was how bad Donald Trump and his stormtroopers were during the summer of love. But Joaquin Castro wasn't the only one. Greg Kassar, also of Texas, wrote also on X, formerly Twitter. Greg Abbott has continued to use political stunts and inflammatory language to advance his own agenda, violating the Constitution and endangering both U.S. citizens and asylum seekers. Abbott is following the Donald Trump playbook, make immigration harder and more dangerous so asylum seekers are pushed into the hands of cartels and the system remains broken. That's ridiculous. I agree with Joaquin Castro. If Abbott is defying yesterday's Supreme Court ruling, POTUS needs to establish sole federal control of the Texas National Guard. We can create an immigration system that is safe, orderly, and humane. It is Democrats' job to push back on razor wire, inhumane cages, and broken policies of the past. It is our job to change policies like Trump-era sanctions that contribute to destabilization of Latin American economies. It is our job to ensure that America lives up to its promise for immigrants. And it's our job to check power-hungry anti-immigrant officials who only seek to create chaos. So multiple congressmen from Texas, illegitimate as they are, are encouraging the similarly illegitimate fake president to seize control of Texas's National Guard. Even the unfathomable loser Beto O'Rourke weighed in, saying Abbott is using the Texas Guard to defy a Supreme Court ruling. When Governor Faubus did this in 1957, Eisenhower federalized the Arkansas Guard to ensure compliance with the law. Biden must follow this example of bold, decisive leadership to end this crisis before it gets worse. This afternoon, Donald Trump has responded on Truth Social. He writes, when I was president, we had the most secure border in history. Joe Biden has surrendered our border and is aiding and abetting a massive invasion of millions of illegal migrants into the United States. Instead of fighting to protect our country from this onslaught, Biden is unbelievably fighting to tie the hands of Governor Abbott and the state of Texas so that the invasion continues unchecked. In the face of this national security, public safety, and public health catastrophe, Texas has rightly invoked the invasion clause of the Constitution and must be given full support to repel the invasion. We encourage all willing states to deploy their guards to Texas to prevent the entry of illegals and to remove them back across the border. All Americans should support the common sense measures by Texas authorities to protect the safety, security, and sovereignty of Texas and of the American people. When I am president on day one, instead of fighting Texas, I will work hand in hand with Governor Abbott and other border states to stop the invasion, seal the border, and rapidly begin the largest domestic deportation operation in history. Those Biden has let in should not get comfortable because they will be going home. So this is getting really interesting. Are we going to have the Republican states across the nation 
sending their National Guard troops to the Texas border. That would potentially be rather shocking. I wonder what it is they are planning to protect against. I have my doubts that it could simply be just about illegal immigrants. Now, if there is some anti-cartel operation about to happen down there, that seems like a possibility that would warrant National Guard troops from around the country to be sent down to the border. But the idea that they're just going down there to prevent illegal aliens from coming across the border after swimming through the river, that sounds a little off to me. But there's one more weird wrinkle that has to be added, and that is the rallying of a brand new trucker convoy. We're all patriotic citizens and we're very, very mad about the border. So we're going to get in a convoy and drive on down there. The Gateway Pundit, among other organizations, plenty of normie conservative influencers and a lot of people who are probably acting in good faith and just like supporting things have been sharing these flyers and the stories about this trucker convoy called the Take Back Our Border Convoy. This is supposed to begin next Saturday, February 3rd, and they're going to have people driving from all around the country, one of them starting in Virginia Beach, and there are going to be three rally points, San Diego, California, Tucson, Arizona, and Eagle Pass, Texas. The convoys are going to begin on January 29th, and they're all going to reach the border on February 3rd so that they can, I guess, prevent the invasion. The flyer says, calling all truckers, bikers, law enforcement, veterans, military, elected officials, business owners, ranchers, and freedom-loving Americans, the time is now for we the people to peacefully assemble in honor of our constitutional rights to call on our government to take action and secure our borders. Make your voices heard, America. Roll with us. And it encourages you to go to TakeOurBorderBack.com. Now, if your first thought on this isn't, oh, that sounds like a trap or that sounds like an op, then you have not learned the lessons of these last few years. That absolutely sounds like an op. It definitely is an op. It also sounds like a trap. It may not totally be a trap, but it certainly sounds like one. I have no doubt that there will be some people who decide to participate in this event out of good faith. They want to go and express their concerns about what has been allowed to happen at our southern border. And they are right to be concerned. They are right to want to take action. The best action they could take is anything that might expose election fraud or guarantee secure elections in their local communities. But instead, they're going to become part of this op. This seems like it has all the markings of a potential new January 6th debacle. And if we see people like the Alex Joneses of the world and others who were involved in that participating in this, that's a pretty good indication. Tucker Carlson seems to be putting his weight behind this. And not only that, Tucker in the last week has interviewed Ken Paxton, who is a great AG for Texas. And I just shared his comments yesterday about election fraud, but he's the guy who was bringing the case against the illegitimate Biden regime that just got decided in favor of the illegitimate administration. Tucker has had him on. 
He's also had one of the Canadian truckers on. Last week, we heard that Justin Trudeau was being slapped on the wrist for doing something unreasonable and unconstitutional under the Emergency Act when he, for instance, was debanking the truckers in the Canadian trucker convoy, also an op. And then Tucker was just speaking in front of a packed stadium in Canada last night after saying over the weekend that he was coming to liberate Canada. So that's a lot of hits on Republican Senate corruption. This shoddy deal to exchange some BS notion of border security for $110 billion for foreign proxy wars, immigration as a shiny object, obvious members of info ops, Canadian trucker convoy, and now an American trucker convoy. And in the background, Donald Trump is encouraging Republican governors to actually send National Guard troops down to the border. That has the ring to me of when Donald Trump encouraged supporters to come to Washington, D.C. for January 6th, saying it will be wild. I am suggesting that as with January 6th, there is a two-sided controlled opposition operation happening at our border, just as there was in the staged aspects of January 6th that have been exploited so dramatically, and that Donald Trump, in order to thwart the effectiveness of the op, has to seem to be doubling down on one side of that op and going along with it. And I think that we will see this play out. I do not think it is any mistake that that rally, that trucker rally to begin next Saturday was scheduled for the day after that second deadline set by Mike Johnson back at the end of 2023 for one of these appropriations bills. It was very likely that Johnson would have had to push through another CR next week, allowing for that Ukraine-Israel-Taiwan funding with Republicans in the House and the Senate going along with this crap immigration bill, if they were to get anything at all which would put the entire immigration narrative at a fever pitch, a perfect point to be exploited for chaos and dramatic stories, all used to further violate the rights of American citizens. This would be the justification that the illegitimate Biden administration needs to continue going after normal patriotic American citizens, attempting to censor them, attempting to debank them, and even possibly attempting to imprison them, making use of all the methods employed in Canada by Justin Trudeau, who is absolutely Fidel Castro's son, it is undeniable, and Christia Friedland, who is absolutely and unequivocally the granddaughter of a Nazi propagandist. These people are executing the regime playbook that goes around and around and around again. It cycles through on slightly different timelines in different locations all around the world, destabilization and infiltration. This whole thing, it seems to me, is a two-sided controlled opposition op, and it seems like Donald Trump is attempting to call the bluff on this. It will be interesting to see whether any of these governors actually send National Guard troops down to the border. I kind of have a feeling they won't, but either way, we are going to watch this drama play out 
and we will learn some lessons about where the country's at when it comes to states' rights, federalism, and immigration. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!